yet. My name's Matthew. I'm the associate pastor here. I'm very glad you're here. Uh, we've got an important couple of bits of the Bible to look at today. Um, how about I, I pray for us as we um, engage with God's Word today? Please join me as I pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word in the Bible. We want to today know what it means to be assured of our good standing, our salvation uh, that we have through Jesus. Uh, we want to learn more about that. We want to be people who know what it means to be assured and to help others to come to a place where they can be assured of their salvation too. We also need to ask to be equipped today, that you would equip us to engage with each other in a wise and discerning and helpful way as we think through these issues. So please train us to do these things by your word today. Amen. Um, We've previously, uh, a couple of weeks ago, spent a couple of weeks on the topic of assurance. Um, I'm going to do another one of those while uh, we're we're, um, doing some sort of random sermons as we get into the new year before we start our our regular program. Uh, But I shouldn't, I don't want to cheapen it. This is, I'm very glad I get to talk about this today. It's very, very important. Um, We're talking about the concept of what about those who fall away from the Christian faith? Because we're talking about assurance, which means confidence of salvation. You can be confident that you're in right standing with God forever through trusting in Jesus. I can be confident because he died on the cross for my sins, so my sins are forgiven forgiven forever. I can be confident because he rose from the dead and conquered death, which means he can give me eternal life too. I can be confident because Jesus sits in heaven at the right hand of the Father, ensuring that my position with God is secure forever and that my prayers are heard. I can be sure because of Jesus and all he's done for me. However, as we've gone through the Bible, um, the last those other couple of sermons, we've heard things like this, which talks about continuing to be a Christian. It's not just one moment in time. We've come to share in Christ if, indeed, we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. See what it's saying? A, a condition of being a Christian is to keep being a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian, to continue in Jesus. So we, we talk about... Um, it looks like this, a Christian's person who confesses Jesus. His death and resurrection is one salvation for me. He's my confidence for eternity. He's forgiven me. He's, he's given me forgiveness with God. But we talk about that confession actually need to be continued over time. It's what the Bible calls the race. It's the race. It's, it's, not, it's an endurance race. It's not a quick race. You need to continue holding on to Jesus for your entire life, confessing him, holding on to him, growing in him. Because at the finish line, that's where salvation is. That's where God raises his people to eternal life, free of sin and death forever. We've also heard, mercifully, there's not up to us to get there. We've heard that the Holy Spirit of God, when a person comes to Jesus, seals them with, God seals that person with the Holy Spirit, gives them a gift of the Holy Spirit who empowers them to run to the end of the race and grow in Jesus and hold on to Jesus firm to the end. So we actually do it in God's power. It's not up to me and my resources which is a great mercy because I have no confidence I would get there through anything that would come uh, if it was up to me. So in that context, we've got to ask this question, though. It's really important. What about those who fall away? Because I've just said that all those who get genuinely converted will get to the end of the race. They won't fall away. And yet if you've been a Christian for any amount of time at all or you've hung around churches or, or, or that kind of thing, I'm sure you know that the normal experience of Christianity is not seeing everybody continue being a Christian firm to the end. It just isn't. Uh, a church I, I, I was part of a few years ago, just the other day, I heard a guy, he's decided he doesn't want to be a Christian anymore. And, and I, I did not see that coming. Um, I, maybe I should have, I don't know. But 
it, it, it's the normal experience to see other people backslide and struggle in their faith, perhaps very drastically, and, and, and even come to outright rejection of Jesus. Some people are just angry with Jesus now, angry that people taught them about God. And so it's hard to know what to do with that. What about those who fall away? It's a normal part of human experience. And I know some of you, it may be a very painful topic. Uh, you've got people you love who named themselves Christians at one point that don't now. Perhaps it's more ambiguous than that. Perhaps you just don't know where they're at now, but they don't give you many positive reasons to think that they're trusting Jesus and holding on to him and growing in him. Perhaps no reasons at all. Perhaps it's lots of contrary reasons. And so it's very painful. It's not just an academic question that you don't care what the answer is. Perhaps you even lose confidence in God's promise that his people will persevere at all. Here's the first thing I, I want to say about that. The people in the Bible, the apostles, disciples of Jesus, knew that difficulty. In the New Testament, we see people fall away from the faith and the the difficulty and the struggle and the pain that came from watching that happen. Almost every letter in the New Testament is addressed to congregations that had real spiritual backsliding. But these congregations all had real spiritual backsliding, sin, confusion, and real danger of turning away from Jesus. I'll give you a couple of examples. If you read the, the letter of 1 John, it is addressed to a church in Ephesus. Uh, what am I talking about? I can't remember what it was addressed. It probably was Ephesus, actually. Yeah, I'm misremembering because the next one, 1 Timothy is Ephesus as well. But anyway, I, mean, it was just, I don't think it was Ephesus. But 1 John is addressed to a community of believers, and they had just witnessed a whole lot of people leave their church and say, we don't believe in Jesus anymore. And that letter is addressed to deal with that kind of difficulty. They're hurt and confused people. And 1 John is about reaffirming their standing in Jesus. Or if you read 1 Timothy, you just go through it. Uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander are two people who have made a shipwreck of their faith. Chapter 119. 5.15, he mentions several young women in the congregation have turned away from the faith. 6, 9 to 10, various other people have wandered away from the faith because they loved money. The end of the book, 6.21, others have left the faith because they pursued opposing beliefs to Christianity instead. So there's a letter, he's just going, all these people are falling away from the faith. We're seeing it happen. Watch that it doesn't happen to you. And so there's a sense in which it's a normal thing, and yet it shouldn't be possible from what I've said uh, or, uh, so far. So what about those who fall away and, and other important questions that come with it? How can I know that I won't fall away from my, the faith? Can I lose my salvation? Can I help others not fall away and how? Now, here's what I want to say about this whole topic. Uh, many of you will want a simple answer from me on this topic today. Uh, I am not going to give you a simple answer to this topic today because I would be misrepresenting what the Bible has to say on the topic and I would be uh, preventing you from being equipped to deal with it well. I really would. Um, the reason is because we don't need a simple answer. We need an understanding of the issues involved. We actually have to engage with some theology, if I can use the word, like understanding how these doctrines, these teachings of the Bible cohere together and fit together. We need to come to an understanding. And with that as well, the Bible wants us to teach us wisdom and discernment in how we deal with these things. Teach us to be pastorally wise in how we engage with each other, to help each other persevere in in faith to salvation. So you can't give it a simple answer. It's a bit like this. Um, I want to imagine for a moment you're going on a holiday, you've packed the car, and you want assurance that your car will get to its destination. So you get a mechanic and you say, I've got a question for you, you can only give me a simple answer. I want a simple answer. Um, Here's the question. Cars with petrol get to their destination, yes or no? 
Yes or no? I mean, it's a simple answer. Yes or no, folks? And, and he's scratching his head and going, you're being ridiculous. You just don't understand what's going on here. See, what you need to know is an understanding about how cars work and the kind of servicing and care they need and how often and what warning signs to look for that things are going badly in, in multiple places. You can't just sit there and go, simple answer, please. Do cars with petrol get to their destination? Well, Matthew, simple answer, please. Can Christians fall away or not? You actually need to understand a bunch of issues and be able to join them together and then apply them with discernment and understanding to the real world. So today I'm actually going to ask you to think. Uh, I don't know if that's scary. I hope it's not scary. It shouldn't be because I know you all can. But I'm going to ask you to think really hard today because there is... uh, challenging things to think about when you come to this topic. So let's, um, let's talk about that parable that um, Jesus taught in, in Mark 4. And um, if your Bible's still open to Hebrews, if you're a slow Bible turner, leave it at Hebrews. If you feel like flicking around, turn to Mark chapter 4. Um, Jesus tells a parable that's a, a story with symbolic meaning. And so he tells a parable about a sower going out and throwing seed all over the place on four kinds of soil it lands on. Um, the seed scattered is the gospel. It's the word of God. The soils represent four different types of people, four different responses to the gospel um, and, and, and how they go as they respond to the gospel. The type of soil the seed lands on determines the response. And so we've seen, uh, here's the parable of the soils in, in short. Um, some of the soil lands on the path. Birds come around and they just eat it up. It doesn't have a chance to grow, doesn't go into the soil, anything. It just goes, it gets eaten. The rocky soil. It's rocky areas that have like a thin layer of dirt, and so it looks, on the surface, it looks pretty decent. It looks like a place where plants could grow. But if you just put your finger down and press down, you'd know that there wasn't enough space there, enough uh, depth of soil there for plants to grow and survive. When the hot sun comes up, it dries out and it dies. The third type of soil also looks like good soil, but there's thorny weeds in the soil looks promising at first, but eventually it's inevitable that weeds will choke the plant and it dies too. The fourth soil is the good soil. It's the vibrant life that goes the distance and multiplies and bears a crop and, and that kind of thing. This fourth plant is the one that perseveres to the end, doesn't fall away and has eternal life. Now here's what I want to say to you. Every person who has ever heard the gospel fits into one of these four groups. You sitting here today, listening to the word of God, fit into one of these four groups. It may not be immediately clear which of these four groups you belong to. The reason is, like me, your response to God is still in development. We still respond to God's word each time we hear it. We're still in the process of living and responding to God day by day. And you're in the middle of it, you can't straightforwardly know which one you are. Perhaps you you can actually know which one you are with some degree of certainty. We'll get there. But Jesus is calling people, all who will hear, he says, to ensure that they listen to his word and grow to be that fourth type of soil. He says, watch. If you've got ears to hear, listen. Watch. Make sure you're that fourth type of soil, the one that goes the distance. Now, we're talking about what about those who can fall away from the faith. What I want to, as we go through these four soils, what I'd like you to do is think about two questions. Does this soil look like it became a Christian? is the first one. Did it have a conversion experience, uh, that person in that category? The second one is, um, did this person then fall away from the faith? Did they appear to be be a Christian and then turn away from it? So chapter 4, verse 14, you hear Jesus' explanation of the, the parable. The sower sows the word. 
Some people are like seed among the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. The obstacle to growth here is Satan. It's people who just say, Jesus, no thanks. Bible, no thanks. I'm out of here. I'm not interested. It's pretty obvious how they've responded. Do they look like they've been converted? No. Did they fall away from the faith? No, they never positively responded. The next one, the second one, verse 16. It says, Others like seed sown among rocky places hear the word, and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Obstacle to this one is persecution and facing difficulty in the Christian life. They respond emotionally, eagerly to the gospel. They become Christians, don't they? Does it sound like they became Christians? Yeah, it sounds like they had very exciting experience of becoming Christians. We'd be excited to see this happen among us. But in this case, it doesn't last. The hot sun comes out, scorches down, and they aren't genuinely embedded and rooted in Jesus. And so their roots aren't deep enough to survive. Think it through. They look like they've been converted. Will we say they fell away from the faith? Yes. Look at it on the outside. We, what we see is, if you can see below the surface, perspective is very important. If we can see below the surface, we know that plant was never going to survive. But to our eyes, we see seed going there. They respond joyfully. It springs up. And then when difficulty comes, it dies. And so we'd say, yeah, they fell away from the faith. Although if you knew what was going on underneath, you'd know that, well, they never really had a chance. I never really became a Christian. Do you see the difficulty here? It's a problem of perspective as much as anything. In this case, time and difficulty prove whether the crop will go the distance. Now, this is a considerable problem for us. Uh, our world is very different. Our con- well, maybe our world's not very different. Our country is very different to Jesus' society that he was talking to. It's, it's really um, common in the Bible to talk about persecution, facing difficulty and, and, and uh, opposition for being a Christian. And how you bear up under that is part of um, how God shows that you're in the faith and perseveres you through it, holds you through it. We live in a country where that sort of thing doesn't happen so much. And, and, and you can actually, I think, be a Christian for decades without ever being tested in your faith. Particularly if you like coming to church. I mean, it's possible to be a person who comes to church, likes being connected to church, you enjoy friendship and support from church people, and maybe it keeps your parents or your spouse happy. Um, Maybe you even enjoy hearing Bible talks, but but your faith's never been pushed. It's never faced a hot day. And it is very possible, and I'm sure I've seen this, for people who have just been in churches for a long time and are this plant to end up even in leadership positions because, after all, they're long-term members in good standing in their church community. But they've never faced a hot day that would cause it to be exposed, the shallowness of what's happened for them spiritually. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a great difficulty for us in Australia. I think probably the biggest evidence of rocky soil in Australia is stunted growth, but we'll get to that in, in a little while. Thorns and weeds. Have a look at verse 18. It says, the third one, still others, the seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Worries of life, deceitfulness of wealth, promises you it all, but leads you away from Jesus, the desires for other things. That's the second time Jesus' parable has talked about things that I regard to be particularly dangerous in Australia. Because we don't know anything about wealth and desires for other things, do we? 
which soil we will turn out to be is still in development and Jesus has just named things that I know are a significant part of your life as they're a significant part of my life. And so it's troubling because it's so easy to follow Satan's lie that the best life for me involves pursuing things that will ultimately strangle my faith. It means we need to take that very seriously, doesn't it? Think about this soil, the thorns. Do they look like they've been converted? Too right they do. <laughs> Especially like the, 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 the nice, wealthy enough people pursuing wealth, not pursuing Jesus really, and it ends up strangling their faith. Will we say they fell away from the faith? Yes. They claim Jesus and now they don't. But if we knew what was going on underneath, we'd know they were never really in the faith. Do you see how it works? It's a matter of perspective. It's also a matter of that troubles us because we're in the middle of showing, living out which soil we're going to be. And then verse 20, others, the, soil, uh, the seed sown in good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. They produce this stuff that we're going to talk about in a little while, some 30, some 60, and 100 times what was sown. Given time, the crop grows. And as it grows, you grow in assurance that this crop will go the distance, as in fact it will. I want to recap some things we've looked at the last couple of weeks. It'll help us think this through. Um, There's some things that will trouble you today. I hope there's some things that will bring you joy and assurance too. Um, Let me go through some of the things we talked about. um, It's a race, yes. We've got to hold on to faith, firm to the end, to the finish line. That's where Jesus actually welcomes you into the kingdom. Um, you, You turn up the finish line and you go, Jesus... He's mine. I want all he has to offer. And he welcomes you in. We also heard that God's at work in the background, that God predestined his people for salvation. He handpicked people for salvation. And then inside, like time and space, inside our lives, he brings those people into hearing of the gospel and seals them by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit grabs hold of them by their heart, by their mind, and says, turn to Jesus. And we do. And the Holy Spirit will empower and hold on to God's people so they will continue the race firm to the end. It's not in our power, it's in God's. God ensures that his people get firm to the end. All those sealed by the Spirit of God are the good soil, and therefore they bear fruit. Uh, A couple of weeks ago we called it uh, symptoms of new life. Uh, We talked about the kind of change that the Spirit of God um, brings. If we zoom in on the guy, basically, what are the symptoms of a person who has new life, this wonderful disease? The first thing, the foundation of assurance, is that they have faith in Jesus. And how do you know that? Well, because they confess Jesus. They say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus died for me. Jesus rose from the dead. And I'm waiting to be in his kingdom. That's, that's how you know you're assured. And that's how you can know other people are Christians. But over time, we expect to see growth in a bunch of other th- things. As the Spirit of God changes our minds to understand the Bible better and have godly wisdom in how we engage with life. Changes our hearts to desire what God wants and to hate sin changes our hands, leads us to obey God, replacing sinful habits and, and, and lifestyles with righteous ones. And finally, changes our relationships. By this all people will know that you're my disciples, Jesus said, because you love each other. That's what the Spirit of God works in our relationships between each other. That's what the good soil looks like. And where the Spirit of God will, uh, is, we'll see changed life, growth in those areas, and where there's no growth, there's cause for concern. Now, here's the bit where I get you to think. Um, there's a whole lot of information. 
I'm hoping that you're getting a picture of how these, these doctrines, these ideas fit together. Here's some of the sorts of things people say, which are very simplistic slogans that some of them may be helpful, partly. Some of them, they're all very misleading as well. Think about this one. Uh, Christians can fall away and lose their salvation. Just have a think for a minute. Um, how do you respond to somebody who says that? Yes, yes and no is a good answer. Think about it for a minute. Christians can fall away and lose their salvation. Yes, people who say, I turn to Jesus, can not actually be Christians. And can, you can see them turn away from Jesus. It can happen. It does happen. But on the other hand, it's completely misleading at best because we've just learned that God chooses his people. I think we've got... Good, we've got that on the slide. God handpicks his people for salvation in eternity, grabs hold of them by his spirit in our lifetime and leads them to his kingdom. So that's unstoppable. Right, So Christians, people who are actually sealed by the Spirit, cannot fall away and lose their salvation. However, yeah, people can have superficial responses to Jesus and turn away from that. See, the problem I have with slogans like this is it makes people lose confidence. Friends, you should have confidence that God's Spirit can hold on to you and empower you to run the race with perseverance. You, you really should. And, and, and that's what the Bible's trying to lead us towards in, in the way it talks about these things. It shouldn't lead us to anxiety. There might be moments of anxiety, but overall, we should have confidence as we grow in Jesus. Here's the second one. This is common as anything. I have two books on my shelf with this title. One of them's got a question mark at the end of it. Um, but this is, you know, once saved, always saved, or once saved, always saved. It's, um, what's wrong with this kind of slogan? Lots of things. Um, it's actually very, very good in a way. It's affirming what I've just talked about. People that have turned to Jesus and got a seal by his spirit will get to the end of the race. Once saved, always saved. It's slightly misleading in a way of expressing it, but it's pretty good. But think about it for a minute, kind of practically. How does living by this slogan lead you to live as a Christian? People talk about you need to follow Jesus and they say once saved, always saved. Complacency, presumption, not getting up and actually following Jesus, being passive, living by presumption on God's grace rather than pursuing the life that God gives us in Jesus by his Holy Spirit. Do you see how it affects people? You say, once saved, always saved, and they say, okay, yeah, I can just do whatever I want. I'm saved. I'm, I'm always going to be saved. Horribly misleading in practice. I'll give you a third one. I don't know if person X is saved. Only God knows their heart. One of the most tragic conversations I've had with a Christian person was when their father was dying and I asked, is he a Christian? And he says, we said this, I don't know if he's saved, only God knows their heart. I really hope if you've been coming to our church for a while that you'll know how to respond better than that. I know if your parent is dying that you'd have good news to share and you'd have it clear enough to be able to share it. Because if he names Jesus you can be assured that he will be in God's kingdom waiting for you. I don't know if X is saved. You don't need to know their heart. Listen to them confess Jesus. That's what we had on the screen a minute ago. See, it becomes complicated in practice because over time as somebody confesses Jesus, the Spirit of God will work new life in them. It will grow these four areas. It just will. God's Spirit will. But the foundation is always, do they trust Jesus? It's that simple. Now, friends, I want you to turn to chapter 5 of Hebrews, uh, if you haven't got that open already. Um, and we're going to look at a Bible example of this kind of thing at work. Um, 
Because what I've just shown you is, um, in practice, it's a little more complicated than just throwing slogans at people. You want to talk to people in a way that's realistic about where they're at, but leads them to confidence in the right places and spurs them to trust Jesus and grow in him more. Have a look at chapter 5 of Hebrews. Hebrews is to address to a, a church of Christians who are thinking about turning away from Christianity. They're backsliding, we'd say. Yep. Um, the hot summer day of persecution has risen for them. And they're starting to look like the rocky soil, basically. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 11. And he's, he's basically, he's, the summary of this is, I'm worried you guys look like the rocky soil. Um, chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. What's he, what's he criticizing there? Head. Your, your understanding of the faith is going backwards. Verse 13, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, people who have grown up in Christ, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. These Christians look like they're rocky ground. They've stood still. They're moving backwards. They're no longer interested. And this pastor talking to them is very worried. Do you see what he picks up on specifically? He says their understanding of the faith isn't, isn't moving forward. It's, it's a real problem. In fact, look at the benchmark he sets. In fact, though by this time, by being Christians for a while, you ought to be teachers, and yet you need somebody to teach you again. Friends, if you've been a Christian for a while, just think this through. How do you feel about the idea of coaching a new believer in the teachings of Christianity? It, it may feel, you may feel very apprehensive, and, and I feel apprehensive teaching people about the teachings of Christianity, but do you think you can do it? Can you explain some of the doctrines of the faith to another person? Because this is an area God wants you to grow in, and if you can't, we'd love you to help you with that. Um, Stuart and I have realised one of the things we need to do better is create opportunities for you to pursue that deeper understanding of the faith, and so watch this space. We'll be trying to do that. Um, but please take that very seriously. Chapter 5, verse 11. By this time you ought to be... T- or 12. You, by this time you ought to be teachers. You should be able to explain, coach somebody in the faith. And then chapter 6, verse 4, we come to a warning to them that is very, very alarming. Have a look at chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. Here's what he says. He says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. This this is a really heavy word in the Bible, it really is. And it's so surprising. He talks about them so positively. You've been enlightened, you've tasted the heavenly gift, you've, you've shared the Holy Spirit, you've tasted the word of God and the powers of the coming age and fallen away. Like there's a really horrible negative thing at the end and it's totally unexpected. But that stern, urgent warning is, it is impossible for those who fall away to be restored. And that's what's so very worrying. That's what he says. Why is it impossible to turn away from Jesus and then be restored? What it appears to be saying is, it is impossible 
to restore them to repentance because God will no longer be willing to restore them to repentance. There's lots of examples in the Old Testament of God's people getting to a point where God says, you know what, I am never going to restore you to repentance. Thanks to the Exodus generation, Numbers 14, you can read about that. God said he's no longer to listen to their pleas. But uh, Hebrews 6 is actually more like Isaiah last year, what we read in Isaiah last year. Listen to, uh, read Isaiah 6. And God says to Isaiah, these people have disobeyed me for so long that you will go out now preaching about the gospel and they won't listen because they won't be able to. Their ears will be deaf. Their eyes won't see. They will not respond. They will not respond because I will not allow them to. I will not enable them to. See, friends, in the Bible, salvation is always God's work and initiative. The the reason people are able to repent and turn to Jesus in the first place is because God uses his Holy Spirit, the power of his Spirit, to trump our rebellion and cause us to turn to Jesus, to repent and trust in him. Without the work of God's Spirit, nobody would repent. And so we've heard God make wonderful promises. God, by his Spirit, will hold on to his people firm to the very end. But there's corresponding warnings as well. Here's the corresponding warning. Particular for Christ- it's, it's possible for Christians to get so backslidden in their faith that they might consider terminating their relationship to Jesus. And what God says here, in effect, is if you want to terminate your relationship with me, then it will be terminated. I will never enable you to turn to me ever again. I enlightened you once. If you're so foolish as to decisively turn away from all I've done for you, if you so boldly scorn the work of Jesus for you, my spirit will not bring you to repentance a second time. Repentance will be impossible for you. Did you hear the weight of what I just said? Warnings like this are part of the means God uses to keep his people in the faith. It's like the warning sign at the edge of a cliff where you see it and you go, it says, warning cliff edge, you keep going, you're going to fall down and die. And people with their eyes open who can perceive the situation clearly don't go past the sign. And if they do, you can't turn back from that at that point. So God warns his people, don't even entertain the thought that you can reject me in return. It doesn't work that way. And God's people, by his spirit, heed his warnings and continue running. Now, some of you will be very distressed by what I've just said, and that's fair enough. Um, You might think, that friend of mine said they were a Christian and isn't now. What about them? Here's what I want to say to you. Friends, the warning of Hebrews 6 that you've just heard is addressed to you. That is, it doesn't ask you to stand in somebody else's shoes and guess what their response is and what's going on for them spiritually. It really doesn't. It's addressed to you. You don't need to go, have they experienced the power of God's spirit in this way and then committed this decisive rejection of Jesus? Well, all you need to know, because as far as you know is, they're without Jesus, they need Jesus, and you want them to have Jesus. That's what matters. So if you know people in that situation and you're distressed for them, be distressed for them because I'll say three things to you. I think you need to be clear of their need. Don't fool yourself into thinking they're saved when it's very clear they're not. You should pray urgently for them like any other believer. And you should make wise use of every opportunity you have with them to ask them to urge them to turn to Jesus. You don't ultimately know what's going on for them spiritually. 
But you pray that they'd listen to God's word and to warnings like this. And the point is that we each need to listen to it for ourselves. Now come back to the Hebrews congregation for a moment. Look at chapter 6, verse 7. Um, keep going. What's his reason for this kind of um, way of thinking about this, this warning? It's, it's about the soils. It's very similar to the parable of the soils that Jesus told. Verse 7, land that drinks the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful for those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. You see, it's basically just the parable of the soils. Which soil are they turning out to be? And he looks them in the face, I think, at this point. And verse 6, I don't know if it's preached. It might have been preached, this. You can imagine a pastor looking his congregation in the eye and saying this. Even though we speak about these dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. Why in their case? The things that, have, because things that have to do with salvation. Because God's not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you've shown him as you've helped his people. They loved the brothers and sisters in Christ and continue to help them. See what he's saying? Head, heart, hands, relationships. You guys are going backwards in doctrine. But God, I, have sign, I can see signs of grace in you and how you love each other. Now don't just stop and pause there. Verse 9, he says, you can, verse 11... He keeps going. He says, you can't just stop and go, okay, we've got some signs of grace. Verse 11, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end. Grow in Jesus so that um, what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Grow in head, heart, hands relationships because as you experience growing, you see more signs of grace in your life and the lives of the other Christians around you. And you have great assurance that things are going well and that falling away isn't where it's going to end up. Friends, any positive sign that God's at work in our lives should do two things for us. It should give us greater assurance that God's at work in our lives and it should give us greater incentive to keep moving forward. And that's how he's handled it here. He doesn't just say, I've seen signs of grace, once saved, always saved, don't do anything. He said, I've seen signs of grace, push on, keep growing by the Spirit of God. So you inherit what's been promised. I'm going to end today with uh, one Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. If you've got your Bible and, and you can flick to that pretty quickly. Um, it just brings things to get together so very nicely. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 5. And there's a remarkable claim in verse 10. But don't look at it now. We're starting at verse 5. Peter says to uh, his readers here, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and your goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. Now, what we've just heard is different words, right? But we've heard head, hands, heart, relationships, some of those types of things, right? Grow in those things for this reason, he says. Four, verse eight, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a parable of the soils. Do you want to be a soil that produces well, that moves forward? Pursuing these things will ensure that you do that. Verse nine, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. 
Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Because as we see these things growing, we confirm our calling and election. We see evidence of it. Do you see how it works? But if you do, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. <laughs> you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. You will never stumble. You will never fall. Do you see what he said? Pursue growing in Jesus and you will never stumble. You will never fall. I hope you can see why people living by slogans like once saved, always saved concerns me a lot because it doesn't lead to the right responses to God. What we should be is confident that God will get us to the end of the race, that he's given us his Holy Spirit so we keep trusting in Jesus and growing in him and therefore we should pursue these things, growing in Jesus, knowing that if you do these things, you will never stumble. You will never fall. Assurance is experienced as part of the activity of running the grace and growing in Jesus. I'm going to pray for us now. The things I've talked about are immensely important. You may have questions and you may have things you want to talk about. And, that, and I'd, I'd welcome that very, very much. But um, keep thinking it through. One of the things that Hebrews 5 challenges us about is to think and to grow in doctrine as we think through these important issues and also how we deal with them practically. So let, let me pray for us. Our loving Heavenly Father, we are struck by the sternness of your warnings in the scriptures and the, uh, the immense weight this whole issue is. Uh, we want to be people who follow Jesus and hold on to him and who have confidence that you'll get us to the end of the race. Please help us to pursue godliness, to pursue head, hands, heart, and relationships, that those things will be changed by your spirit as we, uh, we work to change them in the power of your spirit. Please help us to do that. Please give us every reason to grow in assurance that your spirit is at work in us. And please, above all, help us to never lose sight that we're cleansed from our past sins because Jesus died for us and that he today, tomorrow and always is our confidence. Please help us never to forget that and to grow in that uh, confidence.